You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we provide strategic planning consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. Mark, basically what we do is we help companies and organizations create strategic plans and measure the right KPIs for success. Only 10% of organizations actually accomplish two-thirds of their strategic objectives now, I don't know about you, Mark, but I think that's pretty crazy that that's the little amount of success. I'm sure you've seen that on a regular basis with organizations. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not surprised by those stats, unfortunately. Unfortunately, exactly. So, so at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. That's why organizations call on us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but we come up with and facilitate your teams with proven practices. Harvard Research shows that when you actually focus on the right KPIs, you can triple your success and who wouldn't want that. So you can email us today at catch, like catch a ball at 40strategy.com, or you can learn more at 40strategy.com. Before we talk about our guest here, Mark Fister, we're going to uh, have a quick shout out to Grant Stockton. Grant Stockton is the partner at Brisbane and Stockton, who has been a longtime friend um, and also a he's been a referral to, to many clients for us. Well, all of our clients, we come in through a referral basis. So Grant, I just want to say thank you for uh, supporting 40 Strategy. And with that, I'm excited to announce our guest, uh, Mark A. Fister. Mark is the CEO of the M.A. Fister Strategy Group that serves as a strategy advisory council and for executives and boards. He's chairman and CEO of Integral, uh, Integral Board Group. He's creator of the board as a service engagement model. He is also a board director and consultant working with hundreds of boards who are public, private, and nonprofit. Mark speaks at over 80 events annually. And I think if you last told me you're booked all the way through uh, June of 2020, uh, sorry, uh, late 2022. And um, which is pretty, pretty amazing. You do an international speaker tours on the topics of strategy, building an effective board for your company and becoming an exceptional board director candidate. You completed your Harvard Business School executive education program for board directors. And you're an executive master professional certified board director. You also hold a certified cyber professional board certification. Your monthly board letter reaches over 27,000 business leaders in over 70 countries. And you're also the author of Across the Board. Mark, in his early days, served as an engineering officer in the US Merchant Marines. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. 
Carl, thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. Well, uh, Mark, there is so much to talk about since we had our last webinar um, back right in the midst of COVID, right? You know, this was in uh, April, May of 2020. And I didn't tell you this, uh, Mark, this was one of these like shocking events of how things were at that period of time. After our webinar, I was so excited about it, right? We had a great guest and it was great dialogue. I sent out a bunch of emails and said, hey, if you need any information, let me, you know, just let me know. And crickets. I didn't hear one response <laughs> from that period of time. But what was interesting was that was just a reflection of the times. You know, it was everything was frozen at that moment. Everyone was just thinking about survival. Strategy was the last thing people were thinking about. They were just, how can I pivot to survive? Now, here we are in, in July of 2021, uh, nearly, you know, almost, what, 60, 14, 15 months later, and things are starting to feel normal again, right? They're back and where they are. So I'm curious for you, for, for people who don't know who you are and what you do, can you give us a little bit more background about your company, your organization, and what it does? Sure, sure. And what you mentioned about the, uh, the shutdown and the reopening resonates with me as well. So I think everybody went through that uh, same experience, Carl. So uh, my background uh, for the last uh, 10 to 15 years has been laser focused in the executive leadership space uh, and even more specifically in the board director space. Um, I do everything from speaking to board consulting to even the education and the certification areas as it relates to the board director areas. Um, for me, it was one of the areas, Carl, that uh, if, if we if we agree that yes, governance is part of leadership, but you add into that the fact that the best leaders also balance their governance with 50% of strategy input into this, right? You can't really govern something if you don't understand the strategy. Um, that to me is truly why I gravitated very heavily so into the leadership area and even more specifically into the board space. Uh, and that's really where I focus a significant amount of my, my efforts, both in the teaching and the consulting realm. Yeah, yeah, that's... So thank you for sharing that and giving people more of a deeper understanding. So over, once again, over this period of time, organizations have seen so much change and they've had for some extremely negative impacts for others. They've been able to take advantage of the opportunity and have excelled and grown, you know, to all new heights as a result of this. But there have been four things that I think have been interesting. You know, we had obviously COVID, which we've talked about, there's been, cybersecurity challenges that have been, you know, on the headlines. Um, government involvement, is, I'd make an argument, hasn't been more involved in this in decades. If not, you know, um, it's it's been incredible the amount of involvement, the amount of companies that took PPP loans, right, that were a smaller basis. And then the last part is, of course, has been diversity, right, and having more inclusion with organizations and boards. Of those four topics, what has been to you the biggest thing you've heard on a consistent basis over that period of time? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'll, I'll say it maybe a little bit differently that you may, than you may expect in my answer, but all four of the areas that you mentioned specifically point back, and, and I'll, I'll correlate this to a board, which is really a microcosm of the entire company and the entire organization. All four of the areas you mentioned, the boards were either prepared for the most part for those, for, for those four scenarios, or they were unprepared in all four of those areas or scenarios. And the reason for that is that boards that were doing their risk and scenario planning, right, which is an aspect of strategy, right? The strategy of the risk side is, is, is a huge piece of this. 
the boards, and I, I do a comparison of this also that may be a little helpful to your, to your listeners, Carl, which is the following. Boards that are solely focused on governance, I view them as very reactive boards because they are. They're waiting for something to happen, then they're responding to it, and they're typically not ready to respond in a proper way. And those are the boards that you could say are surviving, right? Then at the other end of the spectrum, you have the boards that are thriving. Those are the boards that do what I mentioned a moment ago. They're keeping a balance of governance with strategy, and they understand that interrelationship between those two. And for those boards, even though they may not, as an example, have been able to predict the pandemic, of course, right? They had some semblance of control over the scenario because they had focused on other areas that were life altering to their business through their risk and scenario plan. So mm. by incorporating these fundamental and foundational areas of focus that a board should be focused on risk, right? Risk and scenario planning is, is directly, of course, related back to the risk area. And hopefully there's a risk committee that's, that's focused in, in those spaces that are, uh, could have huge impacts to the overall organization. Those boards, yes, it was, it was a, a, big, a big impact, but they were more well prepared to respond to that in, in a quicker manner with the proper types of, of decisions, right? Cybersecurity is another great example. Uh, boards that were woefully unprepared with that, without having any type of experience in the technology space or as it relates to the, the cybersecurity component, um, they were in a world of hurt. But then you, on the other hand, you have boards that may have had some level of expertise as, as a board member that was present, but a good portion of the remaining board, maybe not uh, technology geniuses, right? Or maybe even you could say they were technolo technologically clumsy, but they at least had some background or foundation of understanding a cybersecurity framework. So understanding going through the, the cycles of identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover, right? So they would know that if an organization leading up to a, a, a breach uh, was solely focused on identify and protect, but the conversation of detect, respond, and recover never came up, there's a board also that's not looking deeply enough into its strategy. And you're going to see that much of the things I discuss, and I think one of the reasons, Carl, we're such good friends is that we see this link of strategy just about everything that we do, right? Both professionally and personally. There's a link back to that and how you think, how you operate, and even how you lead teams to make sure the teams are involved and, and understand why it's important, not just to you, but to them. Yeah. So all those pieces are interlinked. Uh, it's rare to find a board that's good at one thing and bad at others. They're usually good at many things or they're bad at many things. There's, mm. there's usually no in between on that. So uh, let's talk about, it's interesting. Once again, I, forgive me, they're going, it's like we all want to forget about COVID, but I think the lessons of it are important from a risk management standpoint. Probably nobody, I, maybe I'm wrong in this, Mark, but I don't think anybody had, um, expecting to have a pandemic, right, in one of their risks, but they may have had their building burning down. Absolutely, yeah. Right, so, so what are other examples of that, like where they had like perhaps a scenario, right, where, because to me a building burning down was probably the most relevant, especially for those who didn't feel comfortable or they, they couldn't, right, actually work in an office. I mean, you live near New York City, everything shut down in downtown New York, right, it felt like. Um, or at least what I observed, you know, from interviewing from other people, what were those things that they could have done to have those practical scenarios? And then how did they like, once again, practically adapt 
so their so their companies could get back up and running when they actually sure. closed down their headquarters. Sure. And this is I always say that that type of question is a very personal question for a board, right? What is important to them? And you can tell a lot about a board based on their immediate knee-jerk response and answer to that. So let me give you a few observations I've had with a few hundred boards I've worked with over this time in COVID, ranging again from public, private, and nonprofit organizations. So one of them, uh, and, and we can relate this back also, Carl, to the preparedness to the risk and scenario planning. We are hearing countless uh, issues right now with global supply chains. This is a perfect example for this right now. I mean, even GM is putting out cars right now where they've They've eliminated certain chips that are, um, I relate them back to, directly to the ESG area, you know, protection of the environment where your car shuts off when you're waiting for, at a light. Um, it'll uh, disengage two cylinders, right, to burn less fuel if you don't need that power. Um, they're not able to actually put those functions as of right now in the trucks and cars at GM because they don't have the chips, but they're still rolling those trucks off the, uh, off the production line. Wow. The, the supply chain, I just wrote about this two months ago, is a prime example of when an organization already had a robust risk and scenario planning uh, effort at the board level, continuous, not just once and done, one and done type of thing. Um, that's a prime example where the it may not have predicted something of the global scale of COVID, right, with the pandemic and the lockdown, but that's definitely a risk that could happen through many, many different types of scenarios, right? Um, Remote working is another one, right? So how many boards or organizations do we know at the leadership level that have pushed off digital transformation for years now, right? Well, when COVID hit, there was no more option. There wasn't an option anymore to push these things off, right? It had to happen. And now it was what I call this issue of governance simultaneity. All these things were happening at once. So think about the pressures on a CEO and think about the pressures on a board. Right? You're talking about supply chain issues. You're talking about um, uh, digital transformation that has to happen or your workforce is going to sit idle waiting for you to send them a laptop and have some sort of VPN access to be secure as they're working. Right? I mean, the, the pressures on these organizations was incredible. Um, and there was a lot of emotion in these boardrooms during this time as well. My point in answering your question, Carl, on all of this is that when the right areas are focused on and the, the, the outcomes of where you want to be, and this is, this is a great definition of strategy, right? When those pieces are focused on, it doesn't matter what causes them. It matters that you have an outcome and a plan and a strategy with the goals associated to those of how you're going to address that, right? COVID was unique in that it, it, it touched on many of the risk and scenario plannings or boards that were good at this. It, it hit them all simultaneously. But they had a baseline to work from. So yes, it was busy. Yes, it was stressful. Um, yes, there were still challenges, but they had a starting point. They had a foundation. The boards that did not have this, uh, they, they, were, they were extremely stressed, I can tell you. And the organization didn't benefit at all for, from their service for the last five to 10 years prior to that. Yeah, yeah, wow. And I appreciate you including the supply chain issue, right? Because it, it, boy, that is, that is, talk about that impacts everybody's lives, you know? And I didn't, it, it's fascinating, right? When, when organized um, manufacturers are making decisions to exclude, to still roll things off, so to speak, and ship because they, they, the wait time is too long, right? The cost of that. But then of course, there's a secondary cost as a result of not having those components available. That's right, that's right. And the uh, knock-on effects of that were, were huge. I mean, in the article I wrote two or three months ago on this, uh, before uh, 
some of these manuf car manufacturers even made the decision to start rolling them out without these parts. Um, there was a, a referenced article I looked at that talked about you could see these storage lots of these cars outside of the production facilities. You could see them from space. That's how many, that's how the backlog was being affected. And you're looking at some supply chains that have been increased from normally two weeks of, of delivery to 50 weeks right now. So, um, you know, companies that put all of their efforts um, into single point of failures in their supply chains, they, uh, you know, once again, that's a risk that was not properly assessed. They, they assessed it during good times, good economic times, not bad economic times. Yeah, that, that's so interesting because we know that right one piece flow in, in maintaining key supplier relationships is so critical, right, to having a smooth and trying to be as lean as possible in your inventory management. But when something breaks, you, there's no, uh, the analogy I like to do from a manufacturing perspective or like, a, like think of a car using the same analogy of a car. You, you want to have just enough oil so the engine runs. You have too much oil, it's messy. You don't have any oil, it breaks. Mm -hmm. And and what's been happening is both, right? You know, we've been having a lot of mess, as you mentioned, with all the cars sitting in the lots, and then you have just companies breaking right now, right? And and they cannot deliver to their clients, and then they miss out on opportunities, right? Where that's right, there isn't an alternative. There is alternative solutions, and so they're going and they're leaving long term relationships towards that. And in what, what for me, I think what you're saying here is if if you don't truly have another function, right? And another supplier, and you do have a single set of fail, you know, uh, source of failure, you're going to fail, you know, yeah, one we, way or another. We, many companies became very comfortable over the years with just in time. I mean, it's, it's very easy to get into that realm. You could order something today and have it at your doorstep tomorrow from Amazon, right? Many uh, large global organizations got very comfortable with that, with these supply chains, both for services and for products um, that have, you know, touch on multiple geographies around the globe to actually get to their finished product. It's amazing. But you know, even if, if we're, we're talking there about the, the effect on the, what I, what I like to call the technical components, right? Of, of what the services and the offerings or the products of these, these organizations. Another interesting trend, Carl, in this, and, and this was another test for boards, is that many boards had to, they, they were forced to become the emotional support arm for the organization, mainly the CEO. So mm -hmm. think about, the shutting down of travel and, and, and shipping and you know, even employees being able to come to the, to, to the office to work. The emotional toll on CEOs and senior leaders of organizations, not to mention the, the employees, was massive. So boards that were able to shift uh, into this realm of, I, I like to view it back to emotional intelligence and mindfulness intelligence, right? EQ and MQ. The boards that were able to identify that need and support that need and the CEO feeling supported and the executive level feeling supported, those organizations is another measurement point that I look for to see how did the board do in the emotional support side of this. And that is part of a strategy to, you know, make no mistake, the emotional component of the company, which is a direct relationship back to the values and the culture of the organization, right? That is a strategy. It's part of the overall strategy. And I don't think a, a strategy is holistic without that piece. Yeah. And many boards were tested with this. Uh, and once again, the boards that were able to identify and understand that it wasn't just them going through the emotional toll of the pandemic, but think about that on a multiplied scale for a CEO, 
The ones that identified that and addressed it and made sure that the CEO realized that the board was an outlet for them and, and it wasn't just about governance and strategy, but if you need help, you reach out. Those companies also made huge strides very quickly because that also is another trickle down effect. The board, the CEO, and the CEO exudes that to the organization as well. And that should be part of someone's strategy for their values and the culture components for an organization. That is great insights, Mark. And I appreciate you sharing this. And, and I think, you know, there's always one of these interesting things of, um, I think a lot of times people fairly unfairly put a lot of blame on the CEO, but the CEO has nowhere else to go but the board, right? If they can trust the board and they have a really good board, right? They can't go down a complaint, right? It doesn't help. That's right. And, and in these times where it's so difficult and, and they do have this pressure that um, they really do, the really good ones, truly care about every single employee in the organization, they care about their customers, and they care about their suppliers, and the stress that happens with it is enormous. And so, um, you know, once again, having a good board where they can truly be a sounding board in a good way, and then provide them good advice and counsel so they can help make the right decisions, which is critical because of, once again, all the changes that happen at one time. And I think one thing we say, even though, I think so many things are accelerated. It's accelerated the speed of everything. Like you mentioned, digital transformation, something that may have been slowing in over the next decade is like accelerated now. And uh, we have to move towards that faster than ever. So your book across the board, I really enjoyed. Uh, it, it was, frankly, it was unique because you don't typically read about that. You don't read about this, this um, often hidden group right? The board of directors. And, and there, there once again is intended to be counseled to provide. When, when, for me, I had a ton of insights that came when I read it. And for you, what is the most common reflection you hear after people read the book? What do they say? Wow, I had no idea after yeah. reading your book. Yeah. And maybe it, it, it's good uh, to, before I answer that question directly, just to say that nobody was more surprised than me in my career of the board consulting realm, that if you had to reference something, a roadmap, a strategy for that matter, on not only how to build a board, but how to rebuild a board so it serves the functions that you exactly need for your organization and in support of the CEO or the non-executive director, if we compare this to nonprofit organizations. Right. So in my consulting realm, it was honestly, and I, I say this quite openly, it was, a lot of my consulting work is like Groundhog Day, right? It's the same stuff, you go in, what, what most boards are focused on are symptoms, right? They want to fix the symptoms. Whereas I go in and I focus on what is causing those, you know, what is the cause of those particular ailments that the board is, is feeling or going through. And I started to realize that boards that had certain components or a specific architecture, and I use the word architecture over structure because I think the word architecture is much more deliberate and proactive, whereas structure is usually to me a little more reactive and something you would do to evaluate after something happened, right? So in seeing those particular components, I started over the years with hundreds of boards I work with to start to document, you know, what were the differences between these boards, the ones that were great, the ones that didn't work so well, the ones that worked great in this area, but not in another area. And I started to put together this framework, which I was viewing as the architecture, what, what this modern architecture is behind an, an effective board of directors. So that realization, Carl, that I had to answer your question, I think is the realization that many have when they read the book. They say, wow, I don't, 
most people did, did not realize or do not realize still to this day that there is a structure, a process, a path, and an architecture, a proactive architecture you can follow um, at any stage of a board before you build it, if you're a private company, um, if you're a public company, you frequently have folks that are rolling off as board members, term limits, uh, mandatory retirement ages, they retire just out of their own, uh, their own um, choice. And instead of just finding someone who's an exact replica of the person that left, it's a perfect time to do an evaluation of that structure, or, as I say, the architecture of the board. And this realization globally now is happening, and I like to think it's because of, of this book, they're starting to look at that as an opportunity, not just to refill the seat, but to first and foremost look at it in, in terms of how do we go and proactively approach this? Let's just not make an assumption. Let's have somebody come in and look at this to see what exactly we need. And I can tell you in most cases, when they see how structured you can make this, I'm not talking about bureaucracy. I'm just talking about the matching back to a successful path. Um, that usually is both what people experience from the one-on-one -on -one type work that I do or the one-to-board type work that I do and absolutely what they get when they read through the book. That's the realization. And most of the comments I get back is they say, you know, I wish I knew this 20 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Or I wish your book came out 10 years ago. Um, they, they've been through the path when that architecture has not been applied to the board and they paid the price for that in effectiveness and efficiency uh, and even in, in, in enjoyment of serving in that role on a board. When that when that architecture is not correct hmm. it's great insights for me one of the biggest insights that came out of it was the amount of time we should be spending with boards i i've been on a couple boards here i'm currently on a couple boards um and often there's this oh just show up <laughs> you know, show up at the board meeting. That's like the concept of some, and once again, it depends on the board and whether you're being compensated or not, or not for profit or not, or engagement or not. But help me out again. What is it, 160 hours? So I, I, I view it this way, Carl, and I don't view this being different for public, private, or nonprofit boards. Let me first say, I have never seen a truly successful board director put in less than 200 hours per year for any board they serve. I don't care whether it's compensated or not. I don't care if it's public, private, or nonprofit. It doesn't matter. It is impossible to meet the expectations of a modern-day board director, right, of all the things we just mentioned a moment ago as, as pieces that play into this, right? And those are just scratching the surface. It is impossible. And then there are, and I write about this in the book as well, of these add-on areas, right? So if you're serving as additionally the chairperson of the board, tack on 50 hours to that 200. So you're at 250. And by the way, all the numbers I'm mentioning are under normal operating times. This does not include under times of COVID or pandemics or any type of crises that you're dealing with, right? If you are on the board as a base member, 200 hours, and you also sit on a committee or you're a committee chair, tack on another 40 or 50 hours to that yearly. It's impossible to do the things that are required and integrate them into both the governance and strategy areas and to the other committee areas without putting in that time. And as you mentioned, showing up prepared to board meetings, it's impossible. The amount of reading that has to be done and education, ongoing education to give savvy input and decision and vote with confidence that's a minimum amount of time, I believe. And I think we're gonna see that, that amount increase. We're definitely gonna see the averages of board directorship involvements uh, go up over the past 18 months, just simply due to, to COVID. Right, but right. it remains to be seen 
what that actually settles back down to uh, shortly. We'll, we'll see where that goes. That data is not out as of yet. We still have a few more months to go. Well, I appreciate once again you bring that because I don't. I don't think a lot of people understand the depth of what is required and what should be happening. And so I, I appreciate those insights, you know, to it. And, and that is what it takes, right, to be a great board member. You know, we shouldn't take these things lightly. Um, they, they should be really thoughtful because we're truly trying to once again help the organization be more effective. I, I think that one concept you talk about is what is it? Uh, nose in, fingers out, right? Uh, I love that visual, right? Of uh, that we're supposed to be aware, but it's still the job of the company to run the company, That's right? right. We still right. provide governance, insight, counsel, and an appropriate amount. And you have to be in depth enough to actually be able to get insights. And, and you can't do that with just showing up, you know, to a board meeting uh, on a quarterly basis or however often it happens. So we're gonna. Um, how do you measure success with the board? Is there is there a a number or a quantitative factor or a qualitative factor where you say, this is the type of metric I like to measure and when I know a board is running well. Sure, yeah. And it relates back again, due, due to the fact that I believe that 90% of the challenges or the areas that undermine proper board operations and success relates back to its architecture and its structure. Uh, some years ago, I created what's called a board architecture assessment and it assesses those pieces. And it, what I like about it and, and what I purposely did on this with the weighting and the measures of it is that it's looking at components of the architecture, but also measuring the performance against that. It's a truly interesting way, I think, to, to look at that, the, that uh, performance measurement of a board. And it's, not, it, it's both qualitative and quantitative, quantitative simultaneously. So that's one way to do it. And there's other indicators. You know, I wrote an article also a few months back called Heating the Board's Five Observables. And if we look at just a few of those, one of them is very clearly, how does the board communicate, right? What is the level of communication? Do they have the proper level and honed EQ and MQ, mindfulness intelligence, to actually have a conversation without it being undermined or moving to some other area where it gets heated, right? And the, the outcome of that I look for is what I call uh, respectful dissent, right? Is somebody able to be disagreeable um, or, or to disagree, but not be disagreeable, right? right. There's a difference right. between those two words. And when I see a board that operates in that particular realm, I know to, you know to what you said earlier about a board having trust, I'm also looking for not just trust, but I'm looking for respect. I'm looking for respect between board members. I'm looking for the respect level and trust between the CEO and the board as well. You know, that, that's another huge indicator on how effective the board is in, in actually uh, having the authority um, and also the relationship with the CEO to make things work. So yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's one area. I mean, another one that that's, uh, particularly comes to mind is, is uh, well, of course, I'm gonna go back to the architecture component, you know that I'm gonna evaluate that right. board's architecture. But there's things that are just, that fit into some of what, what some will call the squishy or soft skill areas where you know, a respectful board is a constructive board, is an effective board is the best way to look at that. And those are the types of indicators you wanna look for. Okay, you do 80 plus speaking engagements here. How do you keep your personal level? How do you, how do you keep your energy up so you can properly do that and, and yeah. do it well? Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you that the speaking component to me, years ago I got involved with it because it honestly scared the bejeebers out of me. So I, I used it more as a personal challenge than anything else. But I realized that in essence, speaking is the same thing to what you would do as a consultant. It's the same thing as you would do in writing a book doing webinars, doing a podcast such as this. You're educating, right? 
And there's something very good about educating because you feel like you're giving back, right? It's that feeling everybody talks about when you, when you serve in a nonprofit or you help somebody out. I gain extreme uh, positivity from that aspect of it. It really is, that's my motivation for it. The travel can be a lot. The last year has been all remote, of course, for the speaking stuff I've done. It's been a little bit less, but it's come back with a vengeance, I can tell you. And uh, if I have the time, I'm going. I don't care where it is in the world, I'll do it. The people that you meet, the ability to, to spread the word on things that are successful, especially if it's on the topic of board architecture or another favorite topic of mine is uh, becoming an exceptional board director candidate, right? How does somebody truly package themselves properly and get to know all of the inner workings of what has to happen in the boardroom so they are truly savvy in that space? That is the motivator to me. Um, and I like the fact also in my travel, the, the travel component can be some quiet time where I do my writing. So that's how mm -hmm. I balance it. <laughs> that's good. That's good. So um, I always like to ask our guests, of course, I'm going to recommend anybody to read your book across the board, Mark, but what's one of your favorite past books that you would recommend to our listeners? Sure. Well, there's one that I'm trying to get through right now. Uh, it's, it's been a little busy, but to balance the time, it's called Playing to Win, How Strategy Really Works. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm finding it to be an interesting book. Anytime you, you read about strategy, there are many different principles. There are many different um, foundations, I'll say, where that person got their experience as they either try to describe or build a, a strategic pathway. Um, I'm always infinitely interested in understanding how they do that. And I'm also looking at these books, Carl, that I read about strategy or governance in the realm of the crisis management side. And, and that term I used earlier uh, that I started to use uh, called governance simultaneity, right? And mm -hmm. there's a direct correlation to strategy simultaneity in that as well. But uh, in how do you oversee something with so many moving parts and the ability for things, to, as you mentioned too earlier, how fast things change today, right? I think governance simultaneity, simultaneity is a great way to look at that and saying, you know, how do I create a mechanism that allows me to oversee the strategy and to give me those data points in that dashboard is when I know it's on track or I quickly know if it's off track, right? Or if the strategy is no longer valid is another way to look at this, right? That's right. Goals can change overnight right now with different technologies and uh, new processes that are launched, right? Or new tools that come out. So uh, doing those double checks and having that ability from a governance standpoint to be directly integrated into strategy is extremely important. Absolutely. So Mark, where can people learn more about you and your organization? Sure, uh, all of my stuff is at one location. I've worked very hard over the years to do that. Uh, the website is fisterstrategy.com, P-F-I-S-T-E-R strategy.com. Uh, you can find everything on there from recordings on teachings to coursework and the certifications that our organization does, speaking engagements, the types of consulting work that we do for boards and leader, any leadership level. Uh, it's all in that one spot at fisterstrategy.com. That's great. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. You really had some wonderful uh, content. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate it. And thank you to the audience. And thank you so much uh, for listening and wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.